0: May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. So Christmas is coming, and there's still a lot of preparations to be made. Among uh, the work that I have yet to do, there's a lot of wrapping of my children's gifts that I need to do. We bring Christmas presents here. Uh, and I wrap them in my office on Christmas Eve and then take them home. And my children have no idea. But I haven't done that yet. And uh, if things keep going the way that they are going, I might not get to it before Christmas morning. Have you ever received a partially wrapped present? I'm making a frowny face right now. Well, you might receive a partially wrapped present in the form of this f- sermon this morning, so. <laughs> giving you fair warning it's not completely wrapped but here's the deal if you don't like it you can bring it back next week and exchange it for a better one (laughs) when I was in college I worked at a bookstore and it was a bookstore that featured bestsellers that was its shtick So it sold all the books that were on the New York Times bestseller list and books like that. And very soon after starting this job, a woman came into the store and she was dressed in a very fine fur coat and wearing a lot of jewelry and I had seen her drive away afterwards in a very expensive car. And she brought in a book which at the time was on the bestseller list and it was kind of a a retelling of the story of Gone with the Wind, but perhaps from the point of view of some of the minor characters or something. And she said, I bought this book last week, but I have to return it. I can't read it. It's too personal. And I said, What do you mean? She said, It's the story of my family. And she went on to recount the story of her family and the great plantation they owned in Georgia, and how the story of Gone with the Wind was based on the tragedy of her own personal family story, and how it made it impossible for her to finish the story because it was too painful. And so she exchanged her book for a better one. In this case, let's say, a romance novel by Danielle Steele. (laughs) She takes that book, goes home, and returns the next week. And she says, I can't read this book. It's about me. What's in this book happened to me? And this book is based on my life, and it's too painful, I can't read it. I need to get a different book. And it went on like this, week after week. (laughs) There must have been some point at which she originally paid $22 for a new hardcover book. But since that point, and apparently ad infinitum, she's been exchanging one book for another. And each time, inhabiting the story so completely, that she convinces herself and anyone who cares to listen, that the story that she's exchanging is about her. I thought of this this week because the Christmas story is one that we all know deeply and well. But we don't necessarily think it's about us. And so the example of my old friend Dolores in how to receive a story, even though it comes from a place that's slightly crazy, is actually an example for us of really how we are supposed to receive the story of Scripture. It didn't just happen a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's happening now. It's happening in our hearts. It's happening in our lives. It's happening in our communities. That's one of the central lessons of the story of Christmas. God coming into the world to be with us. And this time of Advent is set apart in the calendar of the church year for us to prepare, to make a way, as the prophet says, for this story to be born in us. So it lives in us and has meaning. And part of the reason that we continue to resist that is A, it makes us seem a little bit crazy, but B, because the story And what it really tells us makes us a little uncomfortable. We are people of the world, and as such, we are formed and shaped by worldly values. And we like the comforts and the security of the world's value systems, which pretty much everybody in this room benefits from. The scriptures, particularly the gospels, were written and preserved by people who were coming from a place of poverty and exclusion. Think about who these characters are. I was very moved last week when Chris in his sermon revealed to us that John the Baptist's uh, wardrobe and diet were not the affectations of a crazy man, as we so often hear, but he wore camel's hair and ate locusts because in the first century in Palestine, that's what poor people did. So John the Baptist either was poor or he voluntarily identified with himself with the poor as a means of revealing God's truth to the world. Think also of Mary, whose Magnificat, her song, in response to the news that she bears God's child within her, and which is, uh, was woven into the canticle that we sang between the readings and is also paraphrased in the piece of music that we sing just before the gospel. She receives God's glory and she sings a song that says, God, the Almighty has done great things. What has he done? He's cast down the mighty from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. These are the songs and the stories of people that are poor and suffer from the oppression of empire. And the only hope and the only power that they have at their disposal is the power of God to come into the world and change things for the better. So for us to inhabit these stories is challenging because as Americans, we are the benefactors of a lot of wealth and might. At least some of us are. There's a lot of things about our world that people in the ancient world would not recognize. They wouldn't know what to make, I think, of representative democracy. I think they would find it alien and confusing. I don't think they would know what to make of a a capitalist system of economics in which people create wealth by investment rather than by conquest. I don't think they would understand that. But there is something about our world that I think ancient people would immediately recognize, and it is the growing inequality between rich and poor in our world today. It is this, more than anything else, that the prophets uh, railed against. It is the inescapable divide that separates, apparently separates people into categories of virtue and uh, the lack thereof which makes the prophets speak up on behalf of the poor and which makes Jesus say in response to the question posed to him by John's disciples, are you the one? Rather than magnifying his own glory, Jesus does what the prophets did and said, well, tell tell your master to look around and see what he sees. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are healed, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. This is the prophetic story of our religious tradition and it has everything to do with the story of Christmas and God coming into the world, not born in the emperor's palace, not born of the queen of Ethiopia or the empress of Rome, born of poor peasant Jewish girl wandering on the road to Bethlehem, homeless for the night. God comes into the world at the margins of society, not in the places of power. Now, yesterday was the Tour de Noël, probably the single biggest event that happens in the calendar of the year at St. John's. It might be a bigger event than Easter. Raise your hand if you were part of the event yesterday in any way. It involves a majority of this congregation, and and welcomes a a huge number of people from the community and beyond. I drove a van yesterday and had people in the van that came in from San Francisco and the East Bay because they're drawn to the event. And I think there are generally two reasons why people are drawn to it. One reason is you get to see a couple of very fancy houses, and there's some attraction to that. But the other reason is you know that the tour is organized for the purpose of raising money to give to organizations that alleviate suffering in the world. And we hear from both. We, year after year, hear people tell us, I always come on the tour because all the money goes to charity. So Jesus said to John's disciples, or to the people rather, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? We might ask ourselves, what did you go on the Tour de Noël to see? Did you go to see a fancy house? Or did you go to see a community putting in hours of volunteer labor, baking, organizing, planning, publicizing, telling their friends, selling tickets, serving on the tour, driving vans, being a docent at a house? Hours and hours, probably thousands of volunteer hours, and money people giving money, tens of thousands of dollars, for the benefit of those who suffer from our current social, political, and economic breakdowns. Lots of people go on the tour because they want to help, and that's a way to do it. So that's one way that the story of Christmas inhabits our lives, drawn by the lure of the symbols of worldly wealth and power we move through that house to the house of God where the poor have good news delivered to them. What might it be like, I wonder, if we had a parallel tour in which we visited Gilead House in Novato where homeless women and their children are given shelter and housing and help to work themselves out of addiction and poverty? What might it be like if we offered a tour of the projects and the work of Homeward Bound, which helps people out of homelessness by offering them emergency and short-term and long-term housing and counseling and training until they can get on their feet. What might it be like if all of us were able to go on pilgrimage to Africa with the Global AIDS Interfaith Alliance to see how that organization uses the infrastructure of the Anglican Church there to deliver services uh, to fight AIDS in one of the poorest countries in the world? Would we sell as many tickets? I doubt it. I doubt it. The story of God is calling us to move out of the places of comfort and into the places of working for justice, where we join God, who is already at work in the most out-of-the-way places, bringing good news to the poor and restoring things to right. That's what God is doing in the world if we believe these stories. And that's what God is calling us to also do, to serve God's purposes in the world so that the real story of Christmas, which is God's love for us and God's desire for justice, may be made real in our lives. And you know what? We just—we have to go a little bit crazy to make it happen. Amen.